Okay, a couple questions for review. Let's read them together. Question 16. What is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world He created, rebelling against Him by living without reference to Him, not being or doing what He requires in His law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. And question 17, what is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the Creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. And question 18, the question we've memorized this past week, Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? No. Every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God and against His righteous law. And God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in His just judgment both in this life and in the life to come. Okay. Any kiddos this morning that would like to stand up and answer this for us? Question 18. Blaze, you going to give it a shot? No. <laughs> he is kind of hiding. Hey, remember, fourth or fifth row. No further back, Blaze. So you got to scoot up. Okay, let's say it one more time together then. Question 18. Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? No. Every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God and against His righteous law. And God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in His just judgment both in this life and in the life to come. Good job, everybody. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. That's like eight. <laughs> I know you can count. You may not know the catechism question, but you know four and five. Okay, so let's move on. Question 19. It, you've noticed that the catechism is broken up into three sections. So we're almost to the second Section And one of the ways that you can look at the first section is as the bad news. And then we get into the news of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, in section two. And so as we get closer to the end of this first section, you can, you can hear it leaning into uh, the Redeemer and preparing us for what we're going to be learning together. So question 19, is there any way to escape punishment? And be brought back into God's favor. And here's the answer. Let's say it together. Yes. To satisfy His justice, God Himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to Himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a Redeemer. And the little kids, they can memorize, yes, God reconciles us to Himself by a Redeemer. So there were two commentators, Mike Edmondson 
and then Jonathan Edwards. So you've got a current and a past. And let me read you some of the things that Micah Edmondson said. He said this in the beginning, talking about the, the contrast, the contrast between light and darkness. The movie theater experience just isn't the same without the lights off. I learned this firsthand when after the first 30 seconds of Star Wars, The Force Awakens accidentally played in a lit theater and three irritated guys stormed out and demanded that the staff turn the lights down. I've had that experience, too. Uh, a dark backdrop contrasted against a light image adds volume and drama to the total experience. So you get that. You've been to a movie and you understand that it's, it's better, the experience is better with the lights off. So here's the point that he's making. We might say that the catechism is set up that way as well. God's just and righteous judgment against our sin provides the dark backdrop against which the glory of the gospel shines through. After we've understood the depth of our calamity, we can better appreciate the true magnitude of God's rescue plan for us. To satisfy His justice. So His justice needs satisfying. That's what we've learned in the catechism so far. We are disobedient. We're sinful. We are idolaters. We commit idolatry. And God does not overlook these sins. God does not wink at them. God does not sweep them under the carpet. He's a good God. He's a just God. He's a right God. He's a holy God. And so He must, He must deal with sin. He must deal with sinners. And so that has us in a really bad position. So to satisfy His justice, God Himself, so God is going to save us, God Himself, out of mere mercy, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. That's mercy. You could think of grace as when we get what we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Out of mere mercy, what does He do? He reconciles us to Himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a Redeemer. And soon we'll be learning all about this Redeemer that we know and love. Isaiah 53. If you have your Bible, turn there. Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11, I'm going to read. This is a, a prophecy in the Old Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ looking forward to Him. And here's what verses 10 and 11 say of Isaiah 53. I'll pause just a couple times to Make some notes. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And the him is the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. They didn't know who he was, who he would be. We know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we're told that it was the will of God to crush him. So this was not something that happened against the will of God or outside the plan of God. This was all according to God's plan. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Now, obviously, Pilate was putting him to grief and the the Jews who were crying out, crucify him, were putting him to grief and the Roman soldiers were putting him to grief who were nailing him to the cross and the 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 crowds and all of that. But we're also told that God has put him to grief. It was God who was punishing him when his soul makes an offering for guilt. This is what Jesus was doing on the cross. His soul was being offered up. He was making an offering a sacrifice is another word for offering for our guilt, not his guilt. He hadn't done anything wrong. He knew no sin. His soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. We're the offspring. Believers, Christians, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. In other words, he was going to be resurrected. We can read back into this knowing what has happened and understand what this is saying. His days would be prolonged. So he was killed, but he was raised from the dead. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He would accomplish all that the Lord God gave him to do. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He has made us righteous. He has given us His righteousness. He has become for us the righteousness of God. He will make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. So on the other side of the cross, we can look back and understand perfectly what Isaiah was talking about in chapter 53, verses 10 and 11. But here are a couple more things that uh, Mr. Edmondson says in his commentary, perhaps the most startling aspect of Isaiah's language is that it pleased the Lord to make this exchange. It pleased God, satisfied him. It was his will to crush him. He took pleasure in the death of his son. That sounds on one hand, terrible, doesn't it? That needs explanation. Somehow, it, he goes on, it actually pleased the Lord to hand his innocent son over to be mocked, brutalized, and crucified. That's a nearly impossible truth to fathom until you realize God, why God was pleased by this. Certainly, this is important what he says, God was not pleased by the sin of Judas, who betrayed Jesus. He was not pleased by the religious leaders who hated him or Pilate, who unjustly sentenced him or the misguided crowd who rejected him. But here's what he says rightly. But God was pleased by the active and passive, that is through suffering, 
obedience of his son. Who continued to trust God and love his people no matter the cost. So God was pleased, first of all, by the obedience of his son. God, he goes on, was pleased to lay his judgment upon the son in order to save his sinful people. God was pleased because through the cross, the son of God would be glorified. The people of God would be saved. The justice of God would be satisfied and the love of God would be revealed. So this is the beauty of the cross. This is why it pleased God to punish his son on the cross through his death. It pleased God because this was all ultimately for the good of God's people and the glory of God. This was God above all things displaying his greatness, displaying his glory, displaying his justice, his love, his mercy. Nowhere else do we see the character of God concentrated and displayed in such magnitude as the cross. It's where the glory of God shines most brightly. If you want to know who God is, look to the cross. Again, God was pleased because through the cross, the Son of God would be glorified. The people of God would be saved. The justice of God would be satisfied. And the love of God would be revealed. Now let me just read you a few quotes from uh, Jonathan Edwards. These are some of the most famous, I think, these are some of the most famous words that Jonathan Edwards has written. He wrote a lot, obviously, about the cross. But I just took a sampling of what he had to say. Let me read you some quotes. All the virtues of the Lamb of God, His humility, patience, meekness, submission, love, and compassion are exhibited to our view in a manner the most tending to move our affections of any that can be imagined, as they all had their greatest trial and their highest exercise, and so their brightest manifestation. When he was in the most affecting circumstances, even when he was under his last sufferings, those unutterable and unparalleled sufferings he endured from his tender love and pity to us. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying the glory of God shines most brightly on the cross. And it is through that display, that exhibit is the word he uses, of the glory of God. It was displayed in such a way to move the hearts of God's people. Affections. Jonathan Edwards is always talking about affections. The affect, the way it, the, the, the way God moves us emotionally. 
The way God moves, we would say, our hearts. The way God moves our desires. The way God moves us emotionally. God does that. And He does that most effectively on the cross. And so a Christian, right? So what, what is your experience? And so a Christian sees the cross and thinks about the cross and they're moved. But you feel something. You feel love for God. You feel God's love for you. Some of you have been brought to tears when you think of the cross. Some of you, your, your hair has stood on end when you think about the cross. You've had goosebumps when you've thought about the cross. You, you get a lump in your throat when you've thought about the cross. You've been, you've been moved to action to do something when you've thought about the cross. And others hear the cross, right? Like we're hearing in Corinthians, and it's foolishness, it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It's silly, or it's offensive, or it's divine child abuse or go on down the list. But a Christian is is moved and effected and affected by the cross of Jesus Christ. This is what Jonathan Edwards is talking about. There also, he says on the cross, the hateful nature of our sins is manifested in the most affecting manner possible. We see how horrible our sin is and feel how horrible our sin is on the cross. Because our Savior had to endure that for us. And he goes on, there we have the most affecting manifestation of God's hatred of sin. On the cross, in the cross, we, we feel and understand how, how much God hates sin. God hates sin enough to punish His Son in our place because of our sin. And then finally he says. So God has disposed things in the affair of our redemption. And his glorious dispensations revealed to us in the gospel. As though everything were purposely contrived in such a manner. As to have the greatest possible tendency to reach our hearts in the most tender part and move our affections most sensibly and strongly. How great cause have we, therefore, to be humbled to the dust by the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's say it one more time and then I'll pray. So question 19 is, is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Yes. To satisfy His justice, God Himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to Himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a Redeemer. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is true. You have reconciled us to yourself. And you have done this by sending your one and only Son to live, suffer, and die in our place. God, help us even this morning 
to grasp this more, to know this more deeply, so that we would love you more, so that we would love your word more, so that we would love your people more, so that we would love to worship you more as we will today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.